um, if you were listening last week, if you were here, you will remember that um, this series is asking the question, who do you trust? Who do you trust? Well, the light of God has come and revealed that our God is a fully trustworthy God. And so it is him that we should trust. This next, next portion of the scriptures that we're looking at is verses 21 to the end of chapter 1. Uh, and, and there it talks of, of two cities. I mean, one city which has gone astray and become really a, a different city, a distortion of what God would have it be. But that same city will be restored, God promises, will be redeemed and blessed. So the question for us is, where do we live? And what we trust, who we trust, will, will reveal where we really want to live. Do we want to live in Babylon, enjoying the world, and enjoying everything that the world can give us and what we can take? Or do we want to live in the new Jerusalem, God's heavenly city? Uh, so do you trust anyone? Uh, the, world, the, the way the world is set up is designed to make us trust very little. Perhaps we only trust ourselves. Maybe you have good reason to be suspicious of other people. Life can be hard. People can be cruel, self-seeking, exploiting others for their, own, for their own benefit. All this can help us to turn to God and to trust him. He wants us to come to trust him. And this is essentially the purpose of our lives, to learn to trust God. Some of you may say, well, we should do more than just simply trust God. We must glorify God and enjoy him forever. So says the Westminster Shorter Catechism. But how are we to glorify God and enjoy him forever if we do not trust him? Trust him, truly. Fully, completely. So do you trust God? Does an examination of your life, your priorities, your investments, not just in terms of money, but in time and thought and effort, does such an examination reveal a deep and abiding trust in God above all things? You may think that I'm too demanding pastor needs to relax a little bit. One of our culture's common catchphrases is everything in moderation, isn't it? Well, one thing we need, friends, in excess, especially in days like today, is unshakable trust in the living God. We don't want faith in moderation, friends. The one who made us and who made everything that is and who has the power to remake everything and furthermore is in the process of remaking everything. It is him who we should trust. Not politicians, not princes, not corporations, not our own instincts, but our Heavenly Father, our gracious God. The whole reason the world is in turmoil, our own Prime Minister said it himself, the world is facing its most volatile period for decades. I don't know about you, but I think that's an understatement. But thankfully, as we read last time in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, 
The Lord our God has the solution. He has the solution, he has the resources, and he has the vision, and he will see it through. Praise God. Let's continue by reading from verse 21. (coughs) See how the faithful city has become a harlot. She once was full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, companions of thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. Therefore, the Lord Lord Almighty, the Mighty One of Israel declares, Ah, I will get relief from my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. I will restore your judges as in the days of old, your counsellors as at the beginning. Afterwards you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion will be redeemed with justice. Her penitent ones, that means her repentant ones, with righteousness. But rebels and sinners will both be broken, and those who forsake the Lord will perish. You will be ashamed because of the sacred oaks in which you have delighted. You will be disgraced because of the gardens that you have chosen. You will be like an oak with fading leaves, like a garden without water. The mighty man will become tinder and his work a spark. Both will burn together with no one to quench the fire. This is God's word. May he help us to receive it and to be blessed by it this day. If you're taking notes, then I've got three R's for you. Firstly, residency. Residency. Secondly, rejection. And thirdly, redemption. Residency. Rejection and redemption. Firstly, residency. I'm asking that question, where do you live? Where do you want to live? Some of you have got residency of this, I'll say formerly great land in which we live. But in many respects it still is great when you look around at the world. Is that a blessing to you? Or is it a stepping stone to you? The problem, friends, since the fall of humankind in the Garden of Eden has been the residents of the earth. The scattered race of men who continually pursue their own appetites for consumption, indulgence and thirst for more. God's word tells us that these appetites are insatiable, that enough is never enough without the living God. Can you relate? I hope you can relate after what Shima was telling us. I hope you can see some of those instincts, urges, hopefully suppressed in your life. Do you know where you live? Which city is your preferred residence? What does it mean to be a good citizen? Well, good citizens cannot be such unless they're willing to play their part in maintaining an ordered society. 
unless we're willing to contribute to a managed plan to provide opportunity and well-being for all. Again, I'm going to say, like I said last week, I'm not making any political commentary. I'm not promoting any specific agenda. Politics in the West, not only in the United Kingdom, uh, is hindered by the fact that God has been largely sidelined. Thankfully, there are still numerous followers of Christ in the corridors of power. But even for many of them, their faith takes a back seat, allowing the pragmatism of getting the job done to take over. Very few of the policies being proposed by any of the foremost political parties can withstand scrutiny by the word of God Almighty. And this really impoverishes this land. The neglect of God and his truth shouts loud and clear that we as a civilization in the West do not trust God. His ways are insufficient. We in the post-Enlightenment 21st century apparently know better than God. And therein lies our downfall. And this downfall is entirely predicted by Scripture because it has happened time and again throughout the sorry saga of humankind. Whilst the residents of a city are living lives of contradiction, blessing, blessing God with their mouths and cursing in the next breath, do they make a convincing and consistent witness? Do they prove a deep and living trust in their maker? Or do they trust in something else? According to Isaiah, the city that was once the bastion of righteousness, the place of honour and justice, overflowing with riches and provisions, is now inhabited by murderers, rebels and thieves. There is no longer any justice, no help for the fatherless or the widows, everyone preferring bribes and gifts for themselves. So where do we live? In Babylon or God's new Jerusalem? Which city are we building? Now for sure, we are all inconsistent. None of us is perfect. But if we have been redeemed, if we are now reformed residents, if our hearts have been transformed by the power of Almighty God, by his saving grace, then surely we will increasingly desire his righteousness and his glory in every area of our lives and in the wider world around us. Because this is his world, his creation. Friend, I pray that this is what excites you about the cause of Christ. Receiving new birth through the saving act of God, uh, through Christ crucified by sinners, remember God's solution. In verse 18, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. In ancient times, the scarlet dye was the most striking dye. It was the dye which you couldn't, if you, if you got some on your clothes, you couldn't remove it. But God could remove every stain of sin on each and every one of our lives if we come to him in truth 
in humility and repentance. Second point, rejection. Problem is that as humankind we have rejected God. It is the rejection of God that has led to our current woeful state. But it's not accidental. It's the result of a steady corrosion and undermining of the truth of God over generations. So many aspects of our society and practices in life have been overtaken by ungodly principles and priorities. The truth is that every generation needs to be reminded of God's faithfulness and every community needs spokespeople who will boldly proclaim the wonders of God, testifying to his goodness in times of plenty and in times of difficulty. This is why it's vital that our trust in God runs deep because that foundational faith must truly be the basis on which we build our whole lives, our whole families, our whole careers, our whole identity, friends. Everything we do must arise from the confidence and the joy that we know in Christ. If that trust is not there, we cannot expect to build for God. At the start of this year, what is your trust in? Perhaps nowadays, ironically, on American banknotes and on their coins is the bold statement, in God we trust. Yet is that bold and honourable claim borne out in the actions of the country's leaders? Or in the lives of the average citizen. Earlier in chapter 1. We see how the Lord God describes his people Israel as his children. Verse 2. But these offspring. Though God faithfully and tenderly raised them up. Caring for them and providing for them throughout their history. They've become rebels. Laden with iniquity. Verse 4. Israel does not know. My people do not understand, verse 3. In our own lives, we see the reality of children competing as rivals with their parents. Just think of your own upbringing. Just think of your own teenage years. Were they glory years? If it's anything like mine, then probably you said things that you regret. There were, there were conflict times. Both parties eager for the time when children when the children will leave home. Though with the cost of living, this is increasingly difficult. How many of us regret our interactions with our parents or with our children? Speaking harshly or unlovingly in the heat of the moment. Failing to communicate adequately the love that we ought to have for our, for our own kin. If we can be so distant and careless towards those closest to us physically how much easier is it to reject God and keep him at arm's length how much easier is it for us to say Lord once I have the job that I need once I have the home that I need once I have the partner that I want then I'll bring my offerings to you then I'll get serious about the selfishness and the pride in my life friends when Judgment comes upon the land. 
and upon us. We have nobody to blame but ourselves. We have sown the seeds of our own destruction. As a culture, our rejection of God is what brings in times of hopelessness, destruction and despair. The solution is not to throw more money at a corrupt system. It is not to give tax cuts to buy votes at the upcoming election. It is not to blame others, whoever they may be. The solution, friends, is to come back to God in repentance. It is through repentance that we will find redemption. My third point. God's word is consistent in its plea with Israel and with humankind. Yeah, I say Israel and humankind because Israel is always just a, a reflection of humankind. Uh, it's it's the God's example to the whole of humanity. And the challenge to Israel is this, choose life and not death. Choose blessing and not a curse. The Lord our God has made this universe with an inbuilt system of fail-safes. The sooner we realise that, the better. The sooner we realise that if we're chasing our own agenda, pretty soon the end will come. Pretty soon God will show us our mistakes straight in our face. When we pursue our own glory instead of God's, when we indulge our sinful desires instead of pursuing God's righteousness, then failure and judgment inevitably follow. But God loves us and he wants us to thrive. The good news is that God has made this absolutely possible in Christ. By sending his son Jesus, the prince, not, the, not a prince like the world knows, but the prince of peace, the son who lived a life of perfect obedience. God sent him to act as our substitute at the cross of Calvary, to take our sin on his shoulders. His righteousness can then become ours when we awaken to the reality of our twisted and sinful misdirection. When we turn in repentance, justice is then done in Christ. His suffering brings us life. Perfect justice, perfect righteousness. Hallelujah to God on high. Friends, the Lord our God is at work right now, building a new city. As the old one decays and falls apart, an entirely new one is being built to replace and supersede the old one. The new city, as envisioned by the Apostle John, is the, is the place where there is perfect communion between every citizen and the king. It is a marvellous new reality where his amazing attributes become possible for us to know and enjoy ourselves. The Lord graciously holds nothing back from those who flock to his banner. The door is open in Christ. So the question is, are you still holding back today? Because, friend, the day of salvation is today. It is here. A day of final judgment is coming when all the unrepentant sinners and rebels, as God's word says, will be broken together. And those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. Verse 28. 
Friends, the Lord has truly chosen what the world considers foolish to shame those the world considers wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 to 29. Just think about these words. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. What does the world think are the things that are? Are the things that are of significance? Are us before we come to God? Our sinful nature, our sinful pursuits, those are the things that are. The things that are not are the things that are yet to come. The works that God is yet to do to transform us into a new creation. A friend online recently posted a quote by uh, Pastor Vance Havner. He is now with the Lord. If you are what you've always been, you are not a Christian. A Christian is a new creation. If you are what you've always been, then you are not a Christian. Because a Christian is a new creation. You see how God brings to be things that were not for his glory. He makes us into new creations to the glory of his eternal name. So are you now something that was not? Has the old you died? And are you now a resident of a new city, a burgeoning, growing, healthy city, the city of God? Friends, the Lord our God is gracious and kind and he will remake you when you turn and put your whole heart and all your trust in him. May he make us willing and obedient. Then we will eat the good of the land. Verse 19. Then we will truly know what is good. And we will be his blessing. One to another. Let's bow our heads in prayer.